Would you welcome Miss Julia Needham to read from 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. Woot. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Thank you, ma'am. In this season of Christmas, one of my favorite questions to ask just about anyone that I encounter is, what gifts are you looking forward to giving this season? And I ask it that way intentionally because I love hearing about people's creativity and intentionality, their care, their love for one another. You hear it expressed in those moments, right? That the timing that they have to work out to get it just right. I was uh, talking with uh, Katie, one of our uh, facilities managers here at the church, and she was telling me the other day about a gift that's already been given, so I'm not ruining any surprise. A gift that's already been given to her parents, and, and they didn't pick up on why they needed to borrow the truck and, and why this was happening with their brother and why this was happening, all these details that were being coordinated, and all of a sudden they showed up with some bougainvillea for their, their pergola in the backyard, and, and they were just, the parents were overwhelmed in that moment. Al and Terry were just overwhelmed in that moment, celebrating what they were going to receive. I know in just a few moments when our service is over and everybody's exited, and I hope that Stephanie and I have had the opportunity to interact with families and say hello if we haven't already had the opportunity to say hello. And I'm going to go into my office with my youngest, Ella, and she has a gift waiting for her, which she's finding out about right now. And I did that so that she pays attention the rest of this service. There's intentionality when you think about the gifts that you're looking forward to giving. No matter how small or how large, what is it that matters in those moments? It's the intentionality of it. It's the purpose behind it. You may think, I saw that your, your series this year is on Christmas through the Gospels. And what we just read from is the uh, letter of John to the people that he's writing to. And, and this is not one of the Gospels as we understand them in terms of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It's the same author as the Gospel of John, but this is not the same text. And so what are we doing kind of stepping outside of that? Well, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. I, I want us to understand the purpose of the gift that we've been given in Jesus Christ. See, up to this point, as we've been looking at the Gospels, what we've begun to understand is that when we see the book of Matthew, what we're entering into is a bit of an intellectual exercise. And what we see in the midst of that is this account for, from Christmas is rooted in history. That there's an intentionality throughout time of this redemptive plan being born out. When we get to the book of Mark, one of the Gospels, the second of them, we see that the Christmas account requires our repentance, and there's this morality that's behind the scenes and at work and at play where we are 
we have a deficit to our morality and we need a new morality given to us. And we get to the book of Luke and we see this emotional letter not from the standpoint of engaging in sentimentality, not from the standpoint of riding the high highs or the low lows of life, but emotional from this standpoint, it says that we were made to worship. And the book of Luke invites us to do so. Even as we just sang in worship, those words are taken directly from the text of Luke chapter 2. The angels singing. And then in the book of John, as we saw last Sunday... The account of Christmas, it it meets this need for us at a relational level. And it says that it is repentance that restores our relationship with God. How wonderful to see this multifaceted aspect of the Gospels all pointing to one truth, that Jesus is the perfect gift. Jesus is sufficient to be our Savior. Now let me just say a brief word about the cacophony of sounds that we don't normally hear on Sundays together. I welcome that. Children are a blessing. Families gathered together tonight is a gift. Let the children scream. The Word of God will pierce the darkness as their screams pierce our ears. We're not worried about that at all, are we, church? We, and we welcome that and we celebrate that together. You know, these verses that Julia read just a moment ago, they, they make up some famous beginnings, some great beginnings in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever gone to write something, but there's something intimidating about a blank page, isn't there? Maybe just a pen sitting there waiting for you to be brilliant. Maybe a cursor just blinking, taunting you in time. But there are multiple wonderful beginnings to Scripture. Think about Genesis chapter 1-1 where we see the beginning of creation. Think about Mark 1-1 where we just dive right in in the book of Mark and we see the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What about John's own gospel where he reveals that the word is who God is and Christ was there at the beginning of time John is known for his wordcraft he's a wordsmith and here in John 1 John 1 1 we have the revelation of the incarnate son who became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth Look at that first verse with me. It just says simply this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This son who existed with the father, as verse 2 goes on to say, who was from the beginning, as verse 1 acknowledges, has entered into human history, and he is the man Jesus. And John attests to this as one who was there as a witness. Now, when we say this testify, this witness, I actually mean that almost as if he were in a court of law. This is, this is his deposition, so to speak, for us as a people to read today. He is making sure that he is known as an eyewitness. I have seen it for myself. I interacted with this man. I am an eye, an ear, a hand witness. 
I'm able to speak to these things as one who saw it for myself. I was having lunch a couple of weeks ago with one of our pastors, Louis Seifert, and he said about this passage, he said that one of his favorite quotes, I'm sorry, I don't remember who the pastor was that said it, but if you have a question, you can ask Louis. If you have a question about anything that I say tonight, you can ask Louis. He'll answer those questions for you. But he said this, he said that Christmas means that God has moved into our neighborhood. I love that quote because it captures something. God has moved into our neighborhood. He's not moving up. He's not moving out. And for all of us gathered here tonight, here's the good news. He is not moving on. God is moving into our neighborhood. What is going on in your life right now? God is moving into that moment. He is entering into history to minister to us. The God of the universe takes on the flesh that he created himself to save those that he created. Salvation is a powerful word. When we're talking about this divine relationship, this cosmic relationship, this relationship that that spans the heavens in our understanding, we realize that if, if it's God who is the one who is going to save us, well then our Savior must himself be God. But if it is man that needs to be saved. Well, if this man is going to bear the punishment that man deserves, then our Savior must be a man. And so how do we reconcile this at Christmas time? Well, we see in Jesus the one who is truly God. The one who is truly man. And the man who bears the punishment of sin and needs to be God. Who else but Jesus Christ meets those qualifications? If you're looking for the job description of a Savior, we realize that it has to be God and it has to be man. And Jesus perfectly meets those qualifications. He was uniquely designed to accomplish God's plan of salvation. But see, when God becomes man, other men become, they cease to be the measure of all things. I don't know how many of you have ever had this challenge, but when you walk through life, you can walk through the challenge of comparing to others. What is happening in those moments of comparison? Another person, another created one is becoming a standard, aren't they? But see, when God becomes man, man ceases to be the standard. Don't measure yourself up against others. It's a wonderful way to be able to enter into celebration in this season of gift giving. Maybe as you're gathered around the table, don't count gifts. Don't count gifts. Don't compare to others. But you see, this man, Jesus, becomes the measure of all things. He becomes the measure for you and for me. And when we look at him, we realize that he is the perfect standard bearer for us. Because he extends his perfection to us. I wonder if we're gathered here tonight and you might believe a couple of different things. You might be here and you might believe that you can earn your way into heaven. You may say, well, that's not me at all. I actually reject all religion because in me exist the moral resources that I need to live fully as the human that I was created to be. So you're you're one of two people. You can earn your way into heaven or religion is unnecessary because you are the standard bearer. I wonder if there are things that might characterize our lives if we try to live in that way. What about this? Fear. 
fear that your efforts to earn your way into heaven aren't enough. Or this, insecurity. Insecurity that your inner morality, your inner light isn't going to be enough to guide you to heaven. I mean, the, the antithesis of these things would be a life marked by pride. If you're walking around and saying that you can earn your way into heaven, there's, there's an arrogance to that statement. It says that you're enough eventually. And Jesus enters into that and says, no. What about those that may sit here and say, I reject religion altogether? Perhaps your temptation would be not to be marked by pride, but to have a disdain for others. Because you're looking at others and you think, they're not enough, but I am. You know, when you say it out loud like that, even I sound like a jerk and I don't believe in that. But you realize that sometimes in life, that's the way that we look at others. I wonder if in the midst of that type of life, there would be the potential for things like self-loathing. And no, I'm not quoting the Grinch. Self-loathing, if you feel like you've failed. Have you ever had that moment? Maybe you're whipped back and forth between these two ways of life where you think that you can earn your way into heaven or that you have enough inner light. Or there's another option that I'd like to introduce tonight. You can believe that you are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. I'd like to present that this is the gift of this season. To believe that you are saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. And what happens in the midst of that is that you get an identity that is humbled out of your pride. But you are affirmed and you are loved out of your insecurity. And this new identity offers you forgiveness and restoration when you fail. It takes us out of being whipped back and forth, riding the highs and lows of life because we recognize that we are not the gift. Jesus Christ is the gift. He's the perfect gift for us. And there's a gift that we're given kind of subsequent to this, after the fact. It's a gift that we get to share in His life. When we come to Jesus, He changes us radically. What we experience in Him, we begin to want others to experience as well. And we're invited into a fellowship. It's a fellowship that we're going to celebrate through communion together in just a few moments. What we've seen, what we've heard, what we've looked upon, what we've encountered, we have to share that with other people. We want the same thing for them. We have encountered something that is so glorious, so comforting, so empowering, that we want others to have that same power as well. And what happens is that we begin to testify through our lives. We begin to bear witness through our lives concerning Jesus Christ. That means that we proclaim the gospel. To what end? To what end do we encounter Jesus? Just so that we know that we're good with God? That we know that someday He's going to look on Jesus and say, fine, let them in? No. To the end that we get to constantly have fellowship and communion with Him. I think about tables that are going to be represented through our church Represented through the gathering here tonight. And, and I think about the tables and how wonderful those moments are. They may be a mess. And yet it's a wonderful mess, isn't it? 
They may be times where you just, they're going to be years before you look back on these with wonderful memories and fondness of this season of life. And there's something about that communion together, that being together, that fellowship that is wonderful. It speaks of relationship that, that no circumstances in life are going to change. And isn't that what we long for with God? Fellowship with Him. Communion at His table. Well, that's what we look forward to in communion. We share something in common, something that's important, something that's significant. And with Jesus Christ, it goes beyond bloodlines and relationships and friendships. No, this idea of fellowship in its significance and its importance, it, it entails all of the joy and all of the oneness that we have with a group of people who are gathered together for something that really matters. You know, we call that the church. And I don't mean this building. I mean the people that are gathered here tonight. There's something wonderful about the fellowship of even being together. Perhaps you're here and you're part of the extended family. Welcome home. Welcome home. I hope you always feel like you have a home here. Not in this building, but with us gathered together. I hope you always feel that way because there is something far more significant than the time or the distance that may separate us. See, there's this common value. There are these beliefs. There are these goals. We love the same thing in Jesus Christ. We pursue a common agenda as we gather together. You're invited into fellowship, but you're invited into a family. You know, unlike any other religion in the world, Christianity brings us into intimate relationship with a God who is Savior and Father. Have you ever considered that? Perfect Savior, perfect Heavenly Father. And you get a whole bunch of brothers and sisters from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, as we're reminded in Revelation 7-9. You know, as Christians... We must never forget that we have more in common with a Chinese Christian, like my African sister Rachel, have more in common with a brother in South America than we do our next door neighbors who don't know Christ. We have more in common with them because it supersedes the things of this life. Never forget that eternal life transforms us. And it's the eternal life that we now get to proclaim to that neighbor here and among the nations that they too might become part of this family. You know what? It's a family that we always want to add more to. I wonder in this season if there might be some who are gathered with us tonight and this is the first time that you're gathering with a new family. Perhaps you're dating or engaged to be married and, and you're in the season where you're exploring the other side of the family let me pray for you no i'm not going to do that <laughs> and the person that you're with might be thinking i hope my family behaves can i tell you this every married person in this building knows exactly what you're walking through right now there can be a nervousness to adding to the family what if that weird uncle shows up? What if you're dating the weird uncle? <laughs> There's all kinds of challenges that come with those moments. And yet those extended families can be something glorious, can't they? 
the church is an extended family of a kingdom to come. See, Jesus coming to earth is essential for these truths. What we're reflecting on tonight, what we're considering in Jesus coming to earth is not just a fanciful tale in a season filled with fanciful tales. The Hallmark Channel makes a mint on fanciful tales. But the church, we base our eternity not on a fanciful tale, but on a real account of a real Savior who is our real God, taking on this real flesh for people in real need. We need a Savior. And verse 2 of 1 John 1 tells us that this Savior was made manifest. That we might have life and that that life might be proclaimed so that it might be received. You know, in just a moment, our choir will sing the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, with a bit of a twist for us to consider this final night of Advent. Much in the same way that the children here are waiting in much anticipation, as my daughter is waiting in anticipation that I finish this up so she can see what's waiting in my office for her, we too are spiritually in a state of much anticipation. Tonight we look back to the first advent or the first coming of Jesus and we see heaven touching earth in such a discernible way that we can understand it and we look forward to his second advent, his second coming, yet here we are longing in this life. You may wonder why it is that we're going to have the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as this advent hymn leads us to prepare for communion. Well, it's very simply this I asked and Allie said, okay. But it's because this Advent hymn captures some themes of how the perfect gift of Christ so practically meets us in this season. O come, Emmanuel, ransom the captive. O come, Emmanuel, bring victory over the grave. O come, Emmanuel, cause darkness to flee. O come, Emmanuel, Bring us home. Oh, come, Emmanuel, teach us. Oh, come, Emmanuel, bind the nations in peace. But we're not left in a state of longing. No, the song goes on to gently lift our head and say, Rejoice! Rejoice! Emmanuel shall come to you. Over the last few weeks, I've walked with the Schlein family. I'm sharing this with permission. I've walked with the Schlein family. As Catherine's husband of over four decades, has been himself engaging with eternity. He passed away just a few days ago. And yesterday, Catherine, after a long season 
of caring for her husband as he transitioned to glory. Found herself in the hospital as well. Utterly exhausted. Babe, I'm going to run by the hospital on my way home. She texted me this afternoon. Just giving me an update. And she said this, a desire of my heart was for Mark to accept Christ. We'd been praying with her for this for years. About a year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to be in the hospital with her and pray a prayer of salvation with Mark. She goes on to share this, a few days or weeks before he passed, Mark acknowledged several times that he had received Christ as his Savior. But I just kept asking because I wanted to be sure that he understood what I was asking him. See, God knew what it would take, and I believe he humbled Mark. Oh, this line, church. Mark's stubbornness was no match for God's sweet and mighty presence. Those are the words of a grieving widow. Mark's stubbornness was no match for God's sweet and mighty presence. Praise God that he gave his son that no matter how horrible this life gets, it will end and a new life will begin. And if we can look back, we can truly realize how very short our life is here. Praise God indeed, Catherine. <clears throat> you see, the final gift that I want us to consider from 1 John 1 through 4 tonight is this. That the gift that we have been given is enjoying this life in Christ. See, John wrote his letter, verse 4 tells us, so that our joy can be complete. Not partial, complete, full, all that we would ever want or need. See, John is echoing the words here that he heard from Jesus. John 15, 11, where he captures it this way. Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you that, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. John 16, 24 says it this way. Jesus says, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that what? Your joy may be complete. In John, we have the testimony of the fullness of joy in our shared life with Jesus Christ. The fullness of joy is ours through our friendship with one another and with God who is now our Father. And it's all made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And the essence of this life that we've been given is to be in fellowship with God as our Father, with Jesus as His Son. And that fellowship is exactly what Jesus prayed for when he was here on this earth. John 17, verses 3 through 5 say it this way. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
Why would I say tonight that Jesus is the perfect gift? Well, I had considered calling him the sufficient gift, but that didn't seem to quite capture what it is that I believe that we see in Scripture. And it kind of came to me last night as I was filling our pool. Only in Florida can you share this as a Christmas illustration. Our pool, because of the the lack of rain, even with all the stormy weather that we've had, it just is getting dried out right now, and so I needed to put some water in there. And as I was putting the water in, we went and were about town in some celebrations. And as, I think it was Ella and I were out yesterday, as we were driving around town, I called Stephanie and I said, hey, do me a favor and check the pool and make sure I turn the water off. I had not. I overfilled the pool. I overfilled the pool. Now I'm going to pay for that in just a couple of weeks. Literally. But that pool was filled to overflowing. See, it wasn't sufficient. It was more than enough. It was overflowing. It was pouring out to others. It was going places it wasn't intended to go. See, that's what this life in Christ does. It doesn't just fill it enough. It overflows in joy. It overflows in joy. Think of the opposite of this. Since, since I'm sharing a pool illustration at Christmas time, let me just refer to Florida's aquifer. What happens when that aquifer dries up? Sinkholes. Every homeowner's nightmare. Every time you're driving down a road, actually don't think about this on the way home. <laughs> what happens? Fall in, swallowed up. We know the stories. Why is that? Because the aquifer, the, the thing that's kind of keeping Florida afloat, is dried up in an area. Church, Scripture tells us of a wellspring that we can connect to that will never run dry are you connected to him tonight do you know this life or are you prone to the sinkholes of life where you're prone to fall into the moments see what we're told throughout scripture and John is alluding to here is that we are called to the gift of life abundantly in this life and eternally in the life to come See, this, this perfect gift of Christmas is not a vague, abstract set of ideas or morals or an ethical system. It is above all this, the good news of what God has done in entering in space and time in the history of the real and tangible world around us. And we get to experience the goodness of Him sending His Son to rescue us from the destruction and devastation that our own sins bring apart from him church my prayer for us tonight is that your life will be filled with the gift of Jesus our perfect gift and may you overflow abundantly in offering that gift to others not just in this season but in all of life can I just encourage you don't let things go unsaid in this season. Let those around you know of your love for them, of your care for their souls eternally. And may you 
rest in this gift of life in Jesus Christ.